The most obvious thing you should deny yourself of during Lent is sin. More than anything else, it needs to be denied. And not just during Lent, but every day of the year. Repentance of sin should be a mainstay in your life because of Jesus and his compelling love for you and his right to rule over you. In a season where you are encouraged probably more than any other time of year to be truly devoted to the Lord, the Ten Commandments make very plain what is and is not pleasing to your Lord. But sacrifices and self-denial during Lent are so often like New Year's resolutions with a religious spin. They have good intentions but are short-lived before they morph into some twisted form of works righteousness. In order for you to make real progress in godliness, there is a need for you to be in a loving context that not only motivates you by the gospel of Jesus Christ to love God and others, but also models a genuine love for God and others fueled by that gospel. Today we want to look at the commandment that calls you to honor the people who are tasked to promote this loving context in your life and who typically have the most influence on how you relate to God and other people. These people probably have had or are still having the most impact on how you relate to God and other people without you even knowing. Obviously, I am referring to your parents. I want to speak to you today from the subject honoring your parents. And this comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. You will also find the command in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. The command the Lord your God gives respecting your parents is this, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Failure to do this is serious. In the Old Covenant, it says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, and this is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn 
and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. In the new covenant that has been transformed into excommunication, but you see how serious God takes honoring parents and how serious God takes sin against parents. Or perhaps you remember the words of Agar in Proverbs 30, where it is said, The eyes that mock a father and scorn to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. It's not necessarily the memory verse that Sunday school teachers are giving to small children. But nevertheless, these things are bound to motivate at some level. The point is that God is very serious about you honoring your parents. The word honor has been shown to mean to make heavy or weighty. It is the same word used for glory in relation to the Lord. Your parents have not only been given a weighty responsibility, and you as parents not only have a weighty responsibility to train children or your parents to train you, but they have also been given a weighty status with you. Both your father and your mother are equally the object of your honor, respect, and care. As one author stated, they are to be revered, loved, obeyed, and supported. This command to honor your father and your mother, however, is not absolute in the same way obedience to God is. For if a father or mother commands something sinful, honoring them would mean not complying with their sinful request in a spirit of gentleness. Paul picks up on this when repeating this command in the New Testament. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You find this in Ephesians chapter 6. In the Lord, he says, for this is right, honor your father and your mother. In the Lord is made even more emphatic when Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, he cannot be my disciple. And of course, Jesus is using a Hebraic euphemism there to demonstrate that he is supposed to be first in everything. The Lord your God is the ultimate authority in your life, and loyalty to him takes first place over everyone. But inasmuch as our parents are not demanding disobedience to your Lord, they deserve to always be honored 
by you and I. Society disintegrates when we don't love God and don't love others. In one of the primary institutions God created and ordained, as you know, is the family. The family, in its most basic form, begins with a marriage covenant between one man married to one woman. And this is the lawful context out of which a society can be born, shaped, and grow to impact the world for God's glory. The love of God reflected in a marriage between one man and one woman is in turn the context of love and respect that children need to be productive members of society who will glorify God and reflect his character. This is the primary purpose for parenting, training the next generation to love God and to love others through Jesus and continuing to repeat this same purpose, the same aim over and over again as the generations keep going. If you fail to train your children to love Jesus, you are failing as a parent. It is a form of child abuse, as many have said, and it leaves future generations without any hope of a better society. Moreover, if you are a father, you have a key role in training your children. Many have pointed out how this is highlighted in Scripture. One place that everyone turns to is Psalm 78. Listen to what it says in the first uh, several verses of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation." a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Fathers are highlighted in this passage in two very different ways. First, they are the principal teachers of their children in the Lord's ways. Second, they are the principal troublemakers when children are rebellious. It's their failure, typically, that 
has such an impact on children and promotes rebellion in them. As parents in general, and as fathers in particular, do you realize how life-shaping and life-directing your training or lack of training has on your children and their future? Mothers also have a huge impact on their children, often in spite of the failure of fathers. You may recall in the life of Timothy, it's kind of ambivalent in the scripture, but uh, it's very clear that Timothy's father was Greek. He was not circumcised. Now, we don't know completely whether he was a believer, but it does say in 2 Timothy, Paul says to his son in the faith, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And there's no mention there of the father. Maybe his father had passed away, but uh, it's no mention of his father's faith. But it was these women, his grandmother and his mother, that had this impact on young Timothy and then trickled out from him to impact so many churches. And so parents have a major influence on their children, and their responsibility to train their children is key. And that's what parenting really means, training your children to love Jesus and to love others. Any other aim in parenting is not really parenting. It's not biblical parenting for sure, and it's very poor parenting um, when, when that's not the goal. Training your children to love God and others through Jesus and modeling this love before them gives them some of the most compelling reasons to honor, respect, and obey you. You know, when you talk about honoring your father and mother, there's an assumption made in the giving of that commandment. The assumption is that the children who are being commanded to honor their parents are honoring godly parents. It doesn't mean that only godly parents are to be honored, but that assumption is being made within the Decalogue. Parents are supposed to be honored, period. But when parents are functioning in godly ways, they are giving the structure and they are giving the compelling reasons to their children. They are leaving their children without reasons to honor them or to dishonor them, excuse me. They have no reason and no right to dishonor their parents when their parents give them these compelling reasons of a life modeling love. 
and uh, training them to love God through the gospel, knowing who God is through Jesus. On the other hand, a stable foundation for loving God and others is often lost when parents don't repent of their own sins and are handcuffed by some moral scandal in their own lives. Many of you may remember the commercial years and years ago. Maybe some of you won't remember it because you weren't around. But anyway, there was a commercial years and years ago of a father who caught his child smoking uh, marijuana. Now, sometimes today it's become fashionable to smoke marijuana, especially over in certain states. But nevertheless, at the time of the airing of this commercial, it wasn't fashionable to do that. And the father confronts his son and says, where'd you get this? Where'd you learn how to do this? And the son says, I learned it by watching you. And of course, the father is silent. There's nothing he can say. But please forgive me. I failed you as a father. And oftentimes, loving God and others is lost when parents don't repent of their own sins. They've got scandals in their own lives they're not repenting of. For you parents who have been made heavy by the Lord, you and I must recognize that our words or lack of words and our actions or inaction have substantial life-shaping and directing influence on our children. The Ten Commandments, again, they assume a context of godly parenting. Every parent has a right to be honored by their children simply by virtue of them, them being used in God's providence to bring their children into the world. You owe it to honor your parents because if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here. However, how much more do godly parents, modeling godliness, fueled by the gospel, give their children strong compulsion to honor them? Isn't that true? How much more do you, when you are godly, and you model godliness, and that godliness is fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you give your children strong compulsion to honor you, as well as God, for prioritizing the most fundamental and important realities to them on a daily basis. As parents and children of Abraham, because that's, that's who we are, through Jesus Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3, you are a child of Abraham. And as parents and children of Abraham, through Jesus Christ, we are called to be a blessing to our children. And it's somewhat like a precondition, almost, not quite, but almost, that compels your children to honor, respect, and obey you. Like Abraham, the priest of the Old Covenant were responsible for placing God's blessing, that is, God's name, on his people. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Ed Clowney pointed this out as he talked about the commandments. And one of the things he said is that Jesus, as the great high priest, took up this fatherly responsibility in a context where children were being pushed aside. And Clowney said, he pointed out that Jesus said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. And then he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In a biblical context, as priest, as the great high priest, Jesus is placing his father's name on these children. We don't get that unless we read the passage in context with the Old Testament background. When Jesus took those children up and blessed them, he's placing the name of the father on them. We do that today when we baptize children and place the triune name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on them. The act of baptism not only reminds us of God's promise to be God to our children, but also reminds you and I as parents, priests of our families, to see our children with God's name on them. God's promises overshadowing them and call them daily to live up to God's name, what Clowney called the family name. It is also meant to give children a foundation, having been named in God's honor, to honor their parents, who are giving them daily instruction about the Lord, whose name has been placed on them, and how he calls them to be a blessing. Note the intensity that parents are called to train their children. In Deuteronomy 11, it says you shall teach, and Deuteronomy 6 and 11, it says uh, you shall teach God's commands to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It's almost at every single point in the life of a child, the parent is supposed to be directly and actively training them with the commands of God. And those commands obviously always come within the context of who God is and what he's done in loving us. It's the gospel. The institution of the family is unique in that it is often in this institution that both children and parents are called to show compassion and honor to each other at key times of vulnerability. When you and I were born, we were at one of our most vulnerable points in our lives, if not the most vulnerable. We knew nothing and were helpless and hopeless unless someone took responsibility and compassionately cared for us. And this is the compassion every parent who is called to show and exercise whenever a child is born to them. 
It is the compassion adoptive parents also, also show when they take responsibility for their adopted children's well-being and future. And children need to know this about their past to stir them to honor those who are uh, their parents and who stepped in and stepped up to show them compassion. I mean, that's what God does, doesn't he? When, when he calls us to obey him, he reminds us of who he is. He reminds us of what he's done. He's the perfect father. He's the perfect parent. Why not take a page from his book? Why not take all the pages from his book? It's the Bible, after all. But this same compassion is paid back with honor to our parents when they age and can't care for themselves. You and I are called to honor, to make heavy, weighty our parents' plight when they are weakened by old age. Solomon said, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. On two occasions, there's many more, but on two occasions in the same letter, Paul speaks to this. He says, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Pleasing in the sight of God. It's the same thing that Paul said in Colossians uh, chapter 3 when he talked about children obeying your parents because this is pleasing uh, to the Lord. That simply pleasing God should be something that is enough to motivate this type of compassion, this type of honor, is because this is going to please the Lord. And so that, that sort of motivation pleasing God, uh, implies, does it not, that someone knows something about this Lord and how worthy they are to be pleased. And again, that goes back to the gospel. And then Paul says also in the same book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, they're very strong words. Again, the call to honor parents is a very serious calling. Before we look at the built-in reasons beyond the preface for obeying the fifth commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is the umbrella over all of the commandments. But there's also built-in reasons for obeying the fifth commandment. We'll look at them. But before that, I want to say something about the structure of the Ten Commandments. It was probably Meredith Klein who, among others, uncovered the truth behind the two tablets Moses held in his hands both times he came down from the mountain. Just about every picture you see in children's Bibles, or even in other Bibles that are not necessarily children's, but any picture you've seen of Moses 
has one tablet being held by Moses with the first four commands and a second tablet in the other hand with the last six commands. As Klein has showed, this is wrong. Both tablets had all ten commands on them because when people made covenants, when they ratified covenants back then, each party of that covenant got a copy of the stipulations of the covenant. God had his copy and Israel had their copy. And God's throne was in the Ark of the Covenant. Moses took both copies and put them into the Ark of the Covenant. God's copy was there and Israel's copy was there. Another matter related to the commandments, the issue, an issue brought up maybe first by Ray Sutton, is uh, where the commands divide. The Westminster Standards, as you know, place the break between the fourth and fifth commands, with the first four being primarily about our duty to God and the last six being primarily about our duty to man. Of course, they are all our duty to God and man, but many have found this divide helpful. Sutton introduced another layer, however, that is worthy of consideration. Um, he recognizes that God is a central figure in all the commands, as most evangelicals do, but he divides the commands right in the middle. Commands 1 through 5 are one set, and then commands 6 through 10 are the second set. The, he roots his reasons in the structure of the covenant, which I won't elaborate on, uh, but as I thought about his model, there are certain things that are worthy of contemplation. Um, consider the following. The first five commandments explicitly mention God or the Lord your God in each command. The last five don't mention God at all. This gives the first five commandments foundational and motivational quality like that found in the preface that simply is not found in the last five commandments. The last five are wholly dependent on the first five for meaning. The preface, as we said, is the reason behind all the commandments, but the first five give other reasons built into them um, as to why they should be obeyed that are rooted in God, his being, and um, his being their God. That said, the fifth commandment is connected to the first four because the family is the context where children learn about the God of the covenant and what it means to honor him. The society is where the training in the home, you know, the society in which children, when they leave the home, are about to go, that society is where the training in the home is applied in relationships with others, which began with our parents and siblings. Even the church is set up like a family, according to Ephesians 3 and 1 Timothy 5. In relation to the, to the last five commands, it is in the family where we learn, number one, the sanctity of life. You shall not kill, the sixth commandment. It is in the family where we learn the sanctity of of, of marriage. You shall not commit adultery, seventh commandment. It is in the family where we learn the, 
the, the sanctity of personal property. You shall not steal, the Eighth Commandment. It is in the family where we learn uh, the sanctity of our speech, to speak the truth to one another. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, the Ninth Commandment. It is moreover in the family where we learn to trust God's provision and be content, as well as to have integrity internally in our hearts. You shall not covet the Tenth Commandment. So it is in the family where parents teach their children the gospel of God and preface uh, the God of the gospel, um, the preface, the, the gospel of God, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, the God of the gospel, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, how to worship this God, you shall not bow down to any other idol or make a graven image to worship, the second commandment, how to reverence his name and his being, the third commandment, you shall not take his name in vain, and how to um, spend their time for his glory, the fourth command. It's within the context of the family that you first learn these things. And these things are taught so that when children, like we said, leave the home and enter society, they know their God, how to share him, and how to show his ways in society, which is at its best when life is sacred, marriage is sacred, property is sacred, truth is sacred, personal integrity is sacred. The reasons given for keeping the fifth commandment, coming back to the annex reasons why, are, in, are interestingly the same reasons so often given for obeying God, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So often God says that in relation to himself, that if you obey me, your, your, your life will be long and you will prosper. And he gives those same reasons to obeying parents. In addition, Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 5.16 that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So many times God said that to Israel with respect to obeying him. And now he's saying the same thing with respect to obeying parents. And so in some way, parents honoring your father and mother, uh, considering them weighty, like God is to be considered weighty, is kind of clumped with the God section of the commandments. Deuteronomy highlights not just long life, but prosperity as well. Wayne Gruden says, and this is quoted, should we teach our children then that God will bless them if they honor and obey their parents? Absolutely yes. Um, that should be used when parenting children as a reason why they should obey you. My own mother took a more direct approach by saying, if you want to live to see the light of day, you better do what I say. It had its motivating power, trust me. More than anyone else, our Savior, Jesus Christ, honored his Father. And even his earthly mother and Joseph, his guardian. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And with respect to Joseph and Mary, remember how Jesus in Luke chapter 2 is said to have gone down and was submissive to them after they lost him and then discovered him in the temple. It's really bad when you lose a child, but it's really bad when you lose God's child. And, um, yeah, well, there's a funny little humorous piece in there, I'm sure. But Jesus did everything that was pleasing to his father. He always did the things that were pleasing to his father. And the, the zenith of that, obviously, came at Calvary. It came when Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The humiliating death on a cross. Jesus obeyed his father. You remember in Gethsemane, where he prayed to his father, not at all trying to get out of doing what his father wanted, but knowing that, that nothing was impossible with the father but failure, he, he gropes in his humanity. Is there some other path to getting this done? But in every petition in Gethsemane, not my will, but thy will be done, was always his attitude because his meat was to do his father's will. He took delight in doing what his father wanted him to do. And that is our hope for showing compassion to our children and for children honoring their parents, is that we have a Savior who shows us how it's done and empowers us by his Spirit and gives us desire by his spirit to honor parents and as parents to position ourselves with respect to how our family is structured and what things we prioritize for our children to give every reason to them to honor us. The list of Jesus pleasing his father could be multiplied easily. But Jesus' obedience and sacrifice for our sins, no matter what kind of parents you have or had, his own obedience gives you power to honor your parents, even if your parents are not believers, even if you consider all their imperfections and failures. Through Jesus, you can know God as your Father, and be confident in how he has honored you. How God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit honored you and showed you compassion when you were helpless, when you were hopeless, unless he stood in and stepped up to do something for you. You were like the little infant, totally helpless, totally hopeless, unless someone comes to rescue that's what God did for you in your sin, dead in transgressions and sin. 
without God taking initiative, you would be totally lost. But he did take initiative and showed compassion, great compassion, love, and grace by sending his son to be cut off on Calvary and not to prosper in the land. Just like it says, things will go well for you when you obey your parents. Things did not go well for Jesus in the land because of your sins. Jesus has taken the punishment for every failure in your life to honor parents. Every failure to show compassion to your children. Jesus has taken the punishment for it all. And he's taken the punishment for every other failure in your life with respect to every other authority structure on which is that's built on the foundation of your parents' authority. Authorities like pastors, elders, teachers, your boss, police officers, judges, civil authorities, etc. Jesus even submitted himself to authorities in his day who were diabolical in their attitudes and actions. How could he? Because he had the perfect father. He entrusted himself to the one parent who would never treat him wrong. You've got the same father, and you've got an elder brother named Jesus. And you must do the same when confronted with parents and other authorities who are not interested in loving God and loving others, who are diabolical in their mindset as well. The only way you will ever overcome evil is with good. Only light can cast out darkness. And Jesus is the light of the world and calls you to be light as well. He calls you into a family. He puts those who are without a family in a family. And he's a father to the fatherless. Rest in the fact that this father in heaven has compassion on you. Honor him. He is weighty, the most weighty of all. And let what he has done in Jesus Christ, his son, for your salvation, compel you, constrain you to honor your parents, even when they failed, and to especially honor them when they've done right by you, and to live your life in such a way that you give every reason to your children and those under your care to honor you because you are giving them every day the most fundamentally important reality of all, the reality of who God is and what he has achieved and accomplished in Jesus Christ, his Son, for their salvation. God bless you.